Hi there. If you are a new listener or even a returning one, you may be a little confused when you hear us addressed this week's guest as Zach, when the episode title clearly says featuring Lennon Torres. Well, that is because when we recorded and originally published this interview, Lennon was still going by the name assigned to her at birth and using the pronouns they, them. Now, since she's publicly announced and shared her authentic and beautiful self, we wanted to make sure that we were continuing to support her and her journey, but also really wanted to make sure that we weren't necessarily deleting the valuable information and perspective that we gained from her in our original conversation. So with that being said, she has so graciously granted us permission to keep this episode up for your ears and for everyone's gain, and we hope that you enjoy this week's episode featuring Lennon Torres. Okay, well, hey, what's up? Let's start it there. Let's start. Yeah, let's. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Dissexually Active. This is Maggie. And this is Andrew. What is up, party people? Okay, this week's episode is honestly so special, and I'm really excited for everybody to hear it. This week, we are talking to Zachary Torres. Their pronouns are they and them. They are the founder and CEO of Continuum Community. Continuum Community is an organization and resource center helping communities endorse inclusivity and inciting more awareness and acceptance in the world. Yes, today's conversation is focused on gender inclusivity, and we are just excited to share this very, very important conversation with you because it is definitely not a conversation that's being had enough. So Amen. without further ado, Zachary Torres. Da, 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 da. Hi. Is that okay that we reference you as Zach, by the yeah, way? Yeah, that's totally fine. Zachary? Either one is good. Okay, so we go way back. It's been a while since we've seen each other, but we're super grateful to have you. Again, I can't say it enough. Like, we're so thankful. We really want to learn more and dive into what it is that you've been doing. So, yeah, if we can just get started, I feel like we have a lot to tackle. Sound good? Yes, let's do it. Awesome. So, for our listeners that may not know who you are or have um, any familiarity, who is Zachary Torres and what is Continuum Community? Oof. Okay. So hello. Um, uh, my name is Zachary Torres. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am a student, dancer, advocate, human being, just trying to make it in this world. I um, am currently studying at USC. I'm in my fourth year of my BFA. And I'm also studying um, to get my master's in public relations and advertising. I am gender non-binary. And that experience growing up in the dance industry inspired me to start providing resources and inspiring conversation around, you know, the gender conversation in the dance industry. So I accidentally, honestly, stumbled upon writing a book um, that I didn't think was going to be a book. It was about a year ago, honestly, and I just started recording voice memos, random notes of like things that I wanted to start talking about. And then I wanted to compile it into this, you know, guidebook pamphlet situation. And then found an artist and then was really proud of this product that we kind of made together and thought it could do some really cool things in the dance industry. So I published it and then started Continuum Community as kind of the umbrella of the advocacy work that I do. So it's a 
it's a company. It's an LLC. I'm the founder and CEO of it. And we have a team of about four people that I'm just so in love with. And through that, we just kind of provide different resources. Most recently, we did the book and some different YouTube videos about, uh, you know, sex and gender pronouns, sexual orientation, and how that fits into the dance world and as well into the business industry. Also working on some exciting new things as well. We're working on an interview series right now too. So Work. That's awesome. That's so incredible. Yeah. We've both been kind of doing our research. We've watched like almost every video, if not all of them on Continuum. But for maybe some listeners who aren't as um, educated in this field, can you kind of give like a quick little breakdown on what sex versus gender is? Oh, absolutely. So sex and gender are completely different things. I also want to preface that I'm not a scientist, um, not a <laughs> biologist, um, right. but you know, just a human that's done some research and sex and gender are very different. Um, when you ask for someone's sex, I usually describe it in the most simple way as you know, what's below the belt and what's genetically and anatomically going on inside of a body. So that's right. like male, female, intersex and honestly 1.7% of the population have intersex traits which is about the same population as redheads so that's pretty wow. interesting it's you know even in this binary we've created it's really not even a binary so that's super interesting so sex is completely on one side male female intersex and then gender is kind of like what i say is in your heart or how you feel as a human being and how you identify yourself and that is man woman non-binary, gender non-conforming, and then there's so many other valid gender identities out there, and that is for sure not binary. And just because you are male does not mean you are a man. Um, just because you're female does not mean you're a, a woman. What's going on below the belt and in the genetics is not always what someone identifies as, and that's kind of where you get the non-binary, transgender, and different gender non-conforming identities. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how does that play a role into pronouns. So I know in one of your videos, you mentioned how pronouns are deserved, not preferred, which I thought was super profound. But can you kind of comment on that and explain a little more about how your identity in relation to sex and gender kind of play into your pronouns? Yeah, absolutely. So pronouns, again, very related, but also separate. I think it's when it comes to the sex and gender pronouns, all of that, I often like to think of them in different groups. Um, it helps me and it helps me explain it to people. So pronouns, we've been raised with the he, she, or he, him, she, her pronouns. And that's kind of all we've been, you know, taught to believe and know and understand. And that doesn't really leave room for anyone who identifies outside of the binary. Um, and that's kind of where these other pronouns come into play. I'm most familiar with they, them, their pronouns he, him, his pronouns, she, her, her pronouns, but there are also many other pronouns out there that are valid and definitely should be, you know, shining light on. It's just not really my area of expertise, still researching, still learning. Um, but they, them pronouns too, which is usually the one where people have a struggle with or are uh, unaware of. And that's just a way, a gender neutral way of, you know, talking about someone and it gives someone who maybe doesn't identify as a man or a woman or in those different binaries, it gives them an opportunity to really um, have a pronoun that makes sense for them. And that's kind of where I fit in is I grew up not really identifying as a man, not identifying as a woman. And the he, him pronouns always have felt weird to me. She, her is better, but, you know, still not my true and full identity. And right. Um, that's where they, them, theirs comes in because it's, you know, we've been using they, them pronouns in a gender neutral manner 
for a long time and you know people don't even realize it i always tell the story of and if you've watched my videos you might have heard this story before so if i'm a broken record i'm no, sorry about that it. but my favorite story is like you know someone leaves their phone behind and you have no idea whose phone it is you say oh my gosh someone left their phone behind and you didn't know what gender they were what they looked like you didn't have any preconceived notions and we're kind of taught to you know, use those they, them pronouns. And it's a plural indefinite pronoun used to describe a singular individual in that sense. And that's kind of where we fit in um, with the pronoun thing now. And they're becoming very widely used, getting so much more attention. I'm so grateful for it. And I know so many people out there are so grateful for it. And it's really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's super clear just even with what you just said, like how complex someone's identity can be just in general with all of these different factors. Um, And I think for a long time, like even myself, like I identify as being a gay cisgender male and I had a lot of preconceived notions with what that meant. And that's even like hindered my, I guess, progression as a human being within myself because I've felt that like societal pressure. And I think it's interesting. I don't know if you have kept up with this season of RuPaul's Drag Race, but one of the drag queens is actually a trans gender male who is also a drag queen and I feel like that dynamic might confuse people because they were biologically born a female and then transitioned into their male self and then still now are portraying the role of a female it's it's a complex dynamic but um so many things fall into it so I think it's super important what you're doing and super insightful because I just feel like uh, a lot of people aren't as educated, myself included, on this topic, and it really is super prevalent. Yeah, totally. I, I'm not super familiar with this season of Drag Race, but you know that even that story and what I've you know gathered just from what you've said is, it's really. I don't want to say it's easy because it's not easy, but I it's really simple to just listen to what's in front of you and look and listen to the facts from the person who it's affecting. And if someone tells me that they're going through something or is identifying a certain way and has their own journey, like that journey is valid and it should not have any sort of pushback, you know, and that doesn't mean that people can't ask questions. People get really nervous around this topic and it's it's totally understood. I get it. You know, it's we don't want to offend anyone. We want to be respectful. But honestly, communication is the way that we work through these things and understand and learn these things. So I always tell people, if you have a really genuine question and it's coming from an honest place of wanting to learn, you can ask me whatever you want. And as a human being, I can tell when you're being honest and when you're being genuine with me. And if you're Mm going to be genuine with me and you're going to have an honest question, let's have a conversation. Let's learn together. I can't tell you the amount of times that someone has asked me questions about my identity and I've been like, literally pinned against a wall and I'm like oh my I have not thought of it like that like give me five minutes (laughs) like I and then we have a talk and honestly my research I guess you could say my my lived experience has honestly just been amplifying my humility honestly as an advocate and as someone who's like you know pushing so much out there and is making myself very vulnerable honestly and I just I think the way that I handle that is just by being honest, like even the title of my book, An Evolving Conversation, like it's changing, right. it's mm-hmm. growing. What I wrote in that yeah. book a year ago now, I probably disagree with some of it, you know? And what I always tell the, tell people who are new to this conversation is like, just hop on and like, let's go together. Like, let's not, oh, if I don't completely understand it, like let's not stop and halt and not try to, you know, reason with one another. Let's get on the same boat and let's paddle on 
figure it out. If we hit a speed bump, hit a crazy wave, a storm, whatever, we'll work through it. We'll talk about it. I'll learn. I for sure will learn from people who disagree with me. And then they will also learn from me as well. Awesome. Oh my gosh. I, I would love to talk a little bit about your experience growing up. I was wondering growing up if you experienced any sort of gender dysphoria and if so kind of was there a specific moment that you realized that you didn't necessarily identify with the pronouns being used for you? You know, it's it's a hard one too. I think growing up one in the US and where and just in general with all these societal norms is just challenging and you know as a kid mm. I was raised by two very supportive parents, like very loving. And I'm so grateful. I come from so much privilege in that sense is I I never really had to fight against the grain when it came to my like immediate household, um, which so many people have to. But I always knew that I was a little bit funky. And, you know, I was like, hmm, something's different here. And this conversation honestly stumps me a bit, too, because when I talk about my childhood, I try not to give into the stereotypes Like if I'm like, oh, I used to have friends that were like females. I used to surround myself with girls all the time. Mm. And I liked to play with like girl toys, which is like, what even is that? I just like to play with Barbies. And you, Mm. because you didn't fit into a certain stereotype, you are another stereotype in a way. So anyways, I'll try to work through that in real time. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I always knew that I was not doing what other people who looked like me were doing at the time. And I used, I remember I used to always want really long hair, but my mom always would be like, are you sure you want that? And then I would kind of back trail on it and be like, oh, never mind. I don't want to grow my hair out. Or when I was home, I was always putting on like my sister's clothes and like everything. Like I lived the life of, you know, just wanting to do everything. I, I loved sports as a kid too. I loved playing baseball, but I always felt weird being surrounded by like 13 other boys at the time. I remember that I always just kind of felt mm-hmm. funky and I never really could articulate why. And then I remember I started dancing, which was like, so amazing. It gave me an outlet. But then at the same time, the dance industry is very poisonous when it comes to gender norms, which we I don't think people talk about a lot is <laughs> <For sure. laughs> we're, I'm like, that's getting we're coming. So yeah. I won't dive too far into that one. Go but you know, now being told, oh, you're the boy in the room. So you're going to wear this costume and you're going to dance like this. And you're going to be in love with all of the girls in the room. And you know, that was damaging for so many reasons. But also, I was so grateful because I was in a it was more loving than where I came from, but then also not as loving as it should have been. You know, it was like that weird, awkward ground. Then that's when I started Dance Moms and Abby's Ultimate Dance Competition, which was in a nightmare and a half when it came to me trying to grow. After that whole filming process, I remember I was like 15. I was done. I wanted to be nothing more than to just like go to school. And that's when I embraced my sexuality, which at the time was gay. And I was like, oh, this is it. You know, the missing piece of the puzzle. Like, I get it now. I was different because I was gay. That's totally it. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like a year and a half later, Caitlyn Jenner came out with her show. And I was pissed. I was so mad. I was like, okay, now I have to think about something else. So I was like, so now I'm going to lay in my bed at night. It was so weird. It was an oxymoron. I just like laid down in my bed at night and was like, it's so sad. I used to like cry myself to sleep, like terrified. This gender conversation was so much. And I just remember being so overwhelmed and thinking like, what does this even mean? Like I have, I don't even know what to Google. I don't know what to read I don't know who to talk to my parents were supportive but I had no idea I was the teacher of my household so I just was so confused and 
I did what I do best, which is just ignore all my problems and then drown myself in work. <laughs> so I did that in high school um, and did every damn club you could imagine. And it wasn't until I met some really awesome people at USC and some friends that honestly challenged me and were like, so you know, what's, what's going on with you? Like, you know, they just kind of like were fishing and being good friends and asking how I was doing. And they were honestly way more educated than I was about all of this. Then that's when I kind of discovered the identity of non-binary. That's when I discovered the idea of they, them, there's pronouns. And that was like a big shift for me. That was like mind blown. Like that was, it was just, it's so poetic. I say like, it was the same night I got like my tattoo, which is the cover of my book or not the cover of it, but the first page Ooh, in the book um, and the company logo. And it was all in the same night. I remember I texted my mom. I was like, I'm so excited. I figured it out, posted it on social media. From there, like, honestly, it feels like I've just been on this roller coaster of just, you know, I couldn't turn right. back now. The I was just, you know, honestly. Moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it felt so great. I just gave you my whole life story. No, you just no, asked no. my childhood. So <laughs> no, that's amazing. Yeah. On that ride with you. Yeah. Um, I want to backtrack to something you started to mention. So obviously, it's no secret that you were on two reality TV shows. And something, okay, so Madison, you know Madison, obviously. Mm-hmm. She's like my baby, my Florida baby. She's one of our good friends. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was a fan at the time. Like I was, We all were. I was here <laughs> for Abby. But I think they maybe tried to like highlight your friendship, insisting that it could be a little bit more. And you were like probably transitioning in your teenage years. I don't know how old you were exactly, but those were definitely like some of the most transformative times just as a human being that's when most people start to like experiment, explore and be exposed to more real life situations. So I'm curious if being in the limelight at such a young age and having like certain factors like reality TV show producers and those like extra added things, how you kind of found a way to start exploring and looking for resources to figure out who you truly were. I'm like smirking over here because (laughs) that is like the question of the decade. Honestly, like that is like, holy crap. What a loaded question. Let me, okay. First off, I (laughs) absorb it. Take it in. No, we're good. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll, I'll, I'll break through this. First of all, I want to say if Madison does listen to this, I'm sending her so much love. Like literally I haven't seen Madison and (laughs) since like since the show, but we were so damn close. Like, that was just like one of those friendships that we met like right away and just like we're glued at the hip for like that like two month process and then like didn't see each other ever again. And it was actually yeah. really sad, but beside the point. The dance world but, has a way of doing that for sure. Oh, I know. Anyways, I could go on and on about that one. But yeah, so reality TV was weird because I started uh, Abby's Ultimate when I was 12 and then I turned 13 and then like that it was like that era so I remember the whole process I hadn't even thought about sexuality I hadn't thought about any of that stuff I was a late bloomer in general and none of that was even on my mind when I started the show and I remember producers and you know other moms on the show wanting to like inspire some drama with their kids and be like oh like Zach who are you who do you have a crush on like do you like anyone in the, on the show and I just remember always being like no and just like not really giving into it like again like I was in like my normal place like I grew up around dancing around I was the only like boy at right. the time so it was very normal for me and I just remember it was like so strange that these these like heteronormative narratives were being pushed on to me as like a 12 year old. And I wasn't even ready to have that conversation with myself 
So I remember when I was trying, they were trying to have me have that conversation on TV. I was like really weirded out and I wasn't shy as a kid either. So it's not like I felt like, oh, I don't want to share anything. I just was like, I have no idea what's going on. If they had asked me, I'd be like, no, I don't really have a crush on anyone. But like, I wasn't also thinking, oh, it's because I have a crush on another person, another mm-hmm. a guy or whatever. Like, I just remember like it wasn't even on my radar. So I was always just so confused why people kept talking about it. and. When I did Dance Moms, that was when things got weird because I remember they tried to push a romance on me and Brooke Highland. And, you know, the producers never really pushed me to come out on camera, but they also didn't provide a safe enough space for me to want to. Mm. And they also didn't give enough time for me to, like, take a beat and, like, you know, be like, okay, Brooke Highland is not my love interest. It's the British sound guy, honestly, <laughs> right. at the time. Like, I was obsessed with the. There was a a, a mic guy. Adam was his name. If he listens What's to up, this, Adam? sending him love. <laughs> I no, literally, like, I had the biggest crush on this mic guy. It just was so quick for a kid. Like, I was traveling cross country like every other week. I just was tired. And I think what it did was just like hit a big button of pause is what I kind of say is like, I just feel like for that time of my life, I wasn't growing. I was just kind of stuck. Like I was just stuck in between like this weird place. And then that's when like I quit and didn't want to be on the show anymore that I really was able to start that research. And then that's when I had my first boyfriend. And um, I think I would have come to where I am now many years earlier if it wasn't for that experience. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because I don't regret doing the show because it's, you know, shaped a lot of who I am. And also it's given me like, even though a lot of the people that follow me now and, you know, are interested in what I'm doing are from dance moms and honestly probably could care less about, you know, advocacy and the stuff that I talk about now, it still gave me some sort of platform to, you know, say some things and people do listen sometimes. So I kind of look at it as like a necessary step, a necessary something that I did. Not to assume that I understand what you were going through, but just from what I'm gathering, it's almost in a sense as if you were juggling having to fit into this like societal role on top of this like reality TV role. I worked on um, So You Think You Can Dance when it was still airing. Um, And I just know I've talked with contestants and the things like the reality producers would try to just like push upon them. I can't imagine going through that at 12 to 13 and these kids now are 18 plus. It's just, yeah, I just really, I commend you for where you are. I think it's amazing. And that kind of brings me to once you discovered your true self and what coincided with who you are, how did you begin to implement it into your own life? Oh, great question. First thing I feel like I have to say is what is your true self? Like, honestly, like, you know, True. like, yeah, I, I'm True. sitting in a closet in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm like, I have a good idea of who I am. But, you know, five years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, you were crazy. You like, thought. what were you doing? Like, you know, yeah. you thought you knew. Evolving. Yeah, for real. Um, So I'll start by saying that. But then I'll also say, I think implementation is like my favorite word. I don't know if you picked that up somewhere. You just got lucky. But implementation is like my vibe like I love that word I Mm -hmm. has action to it um the way that I advocate I always 
try to think of practical next steps as a favorite buzzword of mine, but implementation is like, I love it because it kind of insinuates that you're going to do something and you're going to implement it into something that's already existing and something that's already, you know, present. And how do you implement something new, something that's already there? So I was very excited to start implementing my pronouns. I remember it was right before my sophomore year um, at USC. It might have been second semester, but you know, time is fleeting us. I have no idea. It was around that time. And I remember I uh, just started putting my pronouns on everything. I remember like teachers like when asked like if you'd introduce yourself, I would just start saying I'm Zachary Torres. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And people would look at me a little funny and be like, oh, I've seen that before. And then, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm just going to jump on board. And then people are like, oh, I'm so-and-so and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And, you know, I started just living it honestly and living it loudly Mm. I like to say everything I did I made it known and because I was at such a it's not really a popular school but like Kaufman is like got like a lot of like buzz like really quickly um which was Mm -hmm. was interesting um and being at that school I was like oh okay so I'm it's a small school I am able to be heard. People respect me here. And so I just kind of started doing things. Like I remember I would just say like, oh, you can't say that. Or professor, I'm like, oh, maybe try this one. Or, you know, started correcting people Mm. on my pronouns and honestly just started like living my life. And then if I was unable to live in a room or be present in a room because of someone else's circumstances or the circumstances that were built around me, I just, you know, started to ask myself critically and be like, okay, So I don't fit and I don't belong in this room. The very first example that I can think of was we at the time still had men's class and women's class for ballet. And I remember being in class and they were like, yeah, men jump, men do this, men do that. And I I remember sitting in class and I was just like, hmm, this doesn't this doesn't feel right. I was like, I don't belong in these this room. The circumstances that are being put in front of me don't fit me. And, you know, instead of shutting down, which is valid, and I want to emphasize that because people Mm -hmm. kind of go through these things differently. But for me, when I shut down, it's just not beneficial for me. So I instead started thinking about solutions. I'm like, okay, so if I'm going to say, oh, I don't belong in this room, what's the solution? Then I was like, well, I don't want to be in the other class because that's just women's class. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to take class in the hallway where, where do I, where do I go? You know? And I was like, you know, it'd be so much easier if we just talked about what we're doing in these classes, you know, and variations historically performed by female bodies, variations historically performed by male bodies. Like just, I started to realize that at the time I didn't know that I was realizing that it's really a language shift, but at the time I was like, it would be so much easier if it was just this. And so I, that's when I just started writing things and implementing things Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, well, there's something in front of me that's not working. But instead of raising hell and being like, oh, my gosh, like, fix it, USC, I was like, I'm going to come up with a solution myself. Because then if I have the solution, I can give it to someone. So with advocating, implementation is my favorite. And I don't think there's really implementation without thoughtful problem solving. So Kaufman was like my focus group. Like, it was just like, I'm kind of like going to wing it and just see what happens. And Luckily, the staff and the faculty and the students, like, so much love for my class um, at USC. Like, if I'm having a bad day, 
I don't want to correct my pronouns. They jump in on it. Like they were so supportive and I felt so lifted by my class. Um, and I don't want that to go unnoticed. So I was able to like do a lot because I felt supported. And again, you can't talk about this stuff without bringing up privilege and, you know, intersectionality Mm -hmm. with advocacy. And Mm -hmm. there's so many things that we all need to be focused on black lives matter. Like so much stuff is going on and all of it deserves a spotlight. And I think that like I come from a lot of privilege. So I was able to get stuff done and I changed the program for the better. And now they've made some like really strong institutional changes when it comes to gender inclusivity at Kaufman because of me. But it's also because I had a lot of privilege and some people don't have that privilege. So I always like to recognize that because there's a lot of really brilliant people out there that deserve to be heard. I just happen to be in a place where people are going to listen to me. So I'm just going to scream really loudly until they stop is like what I say. So I love that. That's a really awesome perspective. Did you ever or did you ever feel the need to sit someone down, maybe your parents or someone close to you and kind of explain that you were making this, for lack of a better term, shift? I mean, it was always who you were. But now that you came to terms with that and recognized what it was, did you feel the need or did you ever like sit someone down and say, so this is where I'm at. Absolutely. So I texted my mom. So that one was easy. Uh, my relationship with my mom is like, so easy, like so easy. So I just was like, Hey, mom, this is it. I could text her like tomorrow and be like, I re- I'm reversing it all, you know, like she right. so easy. So my mom was that my dad, honestly, I never my dad and I don't communicate on that level very often. But he's so supportive. He just he's very observant, but he's quiet. So he just kind of saw me making Mm -hmm. these changes and so supportive, so loving. I have an amazing relationship with him. We just don't communicate usually like that. So he just kind of learned as we would go. Um, And he still struggles with the pronoun thing, honestly, but he cares and he tries. And that's really all that matters to me. Someone I did have to sit down with was, you know, my grandparents, my grandma specifically, um, and my extended family who are very new to this conversation. And honestly, my grandma was not on board with the whole thing and had some pretty negative things to say back to me, um, which was hard to hear. So I, I kind of, un- I know what it feels like to not be, you know, fully accepted by a family member that it, it's not mm-hmm. fun. It's hard. But, you know, I had a really strong relationship with her at the time. And I really believe that I could change her mind and like have her learn through me and, you know, everything. But honestly, with the election and the, you know, there was so much tension in the world that I realized that I didn't have enough space in my mental health and my mental capacity for that kind of those conversations. They were just becoming damaging to me. It just felt like I was, you know, running against a brick wall for hours and hours and hours. And so we kind of our relationship has definitely changed. We're not in as close of contact anymore, um, which is sad. But you know, it is what it is. I had to make that hard decision for myself and know that those conversations were in a safe space for me. And I had Mm -hmm. to walk away because something that's really important about advocacy for me specifically is I will pester. I will not give up. I will not, you know, I will go, go, go. But like, Mm -hmm. there does come a point where you have to sit down with yourself and say, is this, is this beneficial for them and for me? And if both of the answers are no, then you kind of have to walk away. And that's kind of what happened with some of my family members. So yeah, the sit down conversation is hard. And I always say like, I just can't believe we even have to do that still. Like with the whole coming out culture, like 
I could talk for hours. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why do we do that? Like, right. why do we, why is the assumption still that you are heterosexual and cisgendered? Like, why is that the norm still? But I'm really optimistic. I think that the younger generation, even people younger than, you know, we are, are going to come in and like take over. And I think that, you know, it's, it's going to take some time. It's, it's, it's rooted in our history. So we're going to have to take some time. Um, but I think we're, we're moving in the right direction for sure. Totally. Um, I would love to go back a little bit kind of to pronouns. And I was wondering, just did it or does it upset you when someone um, uses the incorrect pronoun or how do you handle that situation kind of from both sides pronouns again I just want to preface this with they're hard I get it it's a new thing for some people but that's no excuse to not try your absolute hardest because at this point we're moving forward society's moving um so either hop on board and just embrace humility and screw up sometimes and then correct yourself and work harder and read and watch videos and do the whole thing, or you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Right. So I always just say, you know, if you're trying and I feel that you're trying, then we're going to be okay. Like, for example, like my younger sister was younger, I think, which also helps, you know, she's 18 now. And so she was like 16 when this all kind of started. And I never hear her mess up ever, 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 ever. But mm-hmm. like if she screws up once and is like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, great. Totally not even a big deal. Doesn't just even give me anxiety. Doesn't. Yeah. yeah, just she's accountable. She's such an amazing human being. I love my sister so much and my rock, honestly. And same thing with my mom. So great right away. So encouraging. But, you know, her having to talk with the side of the family that is not great with it. She has to hear them screw it up and then be mad at them and correct them and then come to my house and then, you know, be, you know, supportive, the supportive mom she is. And so she'll mess up sometimes too. And then she gets so upset with herself. The people that are close to me, if they mess up, I'm like, you know what? It's not a big deal. You try hard, you work hard. I'm with you all the time. You, you are putting in so much effort and I love that. And that's kind of, I think the underlying message I want to get across is like, if you're new to it, that's fine. No one expects you to be perfect right away. You know, you just have to try and put in the effort and embrace humility. And then if someone does say to you, hey, you screwed up my pronouns all day today and I'm really upset with you, not reacting and being like, oh my gosh, but it's so new to me. You say, absolutely, my fault. I will go home and I will write your name and your pronouns 50 times and I will move on. It's weird because there's this burden, I feel like, on our side of it sometimes that's like, if they mess it up, then it's almost like our job to comfort somebody so that they don't feel crappy about themselves. And, you know, it happened to me this week, actually. And I've been, it's something I'm really trying to be conscious of because I, I kind of like, you know, my, not my brand, it's like who I am as a person. It's the whole idea of compromise and trying to meet in the middle. And, you know, that's just who I am. I want Mm -hmm. to bring in as many people as possible from different backgrounds, but so a lot of the time it, it happens with me sacrificing maybe my mental health at the moment so that they don't feel as bad, so that they don't shy away from the conversation as a whole. But I've been way more conscious of it because someone that I'm relatively close to, you know, messed up like multiple times recently. And I was just like, what is going on? And and this person was so apologetic and, you know, did the right thing. I'm working on it. I will uh, kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then all I could say back is that's okay, but it's also not not, okay. Right. You know? So it's like, there's that weird gray area of if you mess up someone's pronouns, rather than saying, sorry, correct yourself and say, I'll do better. 
because then the person can say, mm. okay, I appreciate that. Cause I do, I appreciate you saying you're going to do better. But if you just keep saying sorry and fishing for my approval, I don't think people really understand it. Honestly, I didn't really understand this at first either is when someone is messing up your pronouns, like it is very like triggering. Like I don't even use that word lightly either. Like, yeah. Like sometimes it blows over and you're like, ah, screw it. Like sometimes someone comments on a TikTok and Instagram and it's like, you're a boy, like screw you. And I'm like, okay, like, LOL, like moving on. I'm going to go drink my iced coffee, like moving on. Then there are some people uh, sometimes on certain days where someone says it to you and then you're like knocked on your ass for like six hours. And there's no like formula. There's no like clear cut. I'm still kind of trying to relay that message is like when someone messes it up, it like really sucks sometimes. And just because sometimes I don't even notice doesn't mean that other times it really gets you. And from someone who deals with like anxiety as well, like I, that's a trigger for my anxiety and I don't even really realize it sometimes where like I'll be having a perfectly normal day and then someone says like sir at the store and then it like blows over my head but i heard it and it felt weird and then all of a sudden i'm anxious for the rest of the day and then i'm like oh it's probably mm-hmm. because i was just misgendered in the store and it also depends on the person mm-hmm. very important 100%. to say for me sometimes it goes over my head but maybe for someone else like every single time they hear it they like spiral and then that's like why it's so important to work hard and try hard because you don't want to be the result of or the reason someone has that sort of reaction so yeah well it goes right back to what you said about pronouns being deserved not preferred and I felt like that that's even a new mm-hmm. like thing that I had to correct myself on because you don't we don't even realize sometimes how these presumptions are just like in our vocabulary it's time for our small biz shout out This Stuff Goes Bad. This Stuff Goes Bad is a homemade whipped body butter with simple, organic, and fair trade ingredients, handcrafted in Bonnie's Kitchen, LA. The packaging for all products is made from recycled materials and is 100% recyclable, so there is zero waste created. Hashtag save the planet. Because there are no chemicals and no preservatives, this stuff does go bad. However, the all-natural ingredients last about 6 to 10 months. But trust me, it will be gone before then. These powerful moisturizers keep your skin soft and hydrated all day and all night. Guys, the way these products just melt onto your skin is an experience in itself. I'm obsessed. Yes, and there are two simple products, day to use in the morning and night to use before bed. Both products are strong enough to heal rough, cracked hands and feet and also gentle enough to moisturize your face, plus safe enough to use as chapstick. I mean, who doesn't love a multi-purpose product? Mm -hmm. This skincare company seriously works hard for the environment. Like we mentioned, all packaging is made from recycled content or reused. Everything used in the making process is composted or recycled, and all carbon emissions from shipping are offset. Can you say carbon neutral? And not only is this stuff goes bad eco-friendly, but also 5% of all sales go towards Agua Clara, an amazing organization that brings clean water technologies to communities in need across the globe. This stuff goes bad is offering an exclusive discount for our listeners, valid for just one month. So jump on this deal ASAP, people. Head over to thisstuffgoesbad.com and use the code DISECT15 at checkout to receive 15% off your order. That's D I S S E C T 15 for 15% off. 
Again, this code will only be active for one month. So go treat that skin with a product both you and Mama Earth will be grateful for. This stuff goes bad. I'm going to sound like a teacher's pet. I did my homework, but another video that you guys did on Continuum was about meaning what you say. And I want to go into that a little bit. Inclusive language. What is inclusive language? Oh, Lord. Let's see if I can define that for Um, I I think inclusive language is language that makes everyone in the room feel like they deserve to have a seat at the table and a voice to be heard is kind of mm-hmm. something is I would throw around. Maybe I would edit it if I was writing it, but it's language that just makes sure that you as a speaker are thinking about as many people, personalities, individuals, identities as possible while you're speaking. I keep saying the word trending, but it's like not trending. It's going in the right direction. It's not a trend that should die or I don't think it's gonna die, but it's like in for lack of better word, inclusivity is a big trend right now. So I think a lot of people have this language thing on the front of their minds. And that's kind of what I'm saying is so many people are like saying, oh, I feel so cool. I'm asking for preferred pronouns. I'm asking for preferred names. And I'm like, it's not a preference. It's my name. It's it's my pronoun. So inclusive language, I think, (laughs) is so important because it makes everyone feel seen and heard. And I'll start with one that I still need to work on because, again, I want to emphasize that I'm still learning, too. You guys like that one gets me every every time uh, like i, have I, I honestly to be probably so... said that like in this interview no absolutely <laughs> I, like, on, I didn't catch it see i didn't even catch it and that one's hard and that's a good example of one that doesn't bother me like if you came into the interview and were like hey guys like i wouldn't have been upset about that but someone some people though. do get upset so it's important that we learn and we figure it out so that one is one that i talk about often um i think my biggest pet peeve as someone who has a goal to you know, continue advocating, continue having a voice, possibly running for office one day, um, which is a long-term goal of mine, is he, she language. And that can take form in so many different ways. So like ladies and gentlemen is a form of he, she language. Uh, King and queen is a, a form of he, she language. He and she specifically, like I always say, if I could get Joe Biden or Kamala Harris on the phone, like for five minutes, the first thing I would say, I'd be like, hi, I'm so nice to meet you. I'm obsessed with you. Please stop saying he, she language. Like, like you're so good at what you do. And like these new, thank God we have new people in office right now. I'm so inspired by them, you know, like applaud, applaud, applaud. But you know, as Mm -hmm. an advocate, I'm like, that doesn't mean I get to sit back and put my feet up. I'm like, you're still saying things like, business people out there like they fixed a lot of it like they don't say businessmen or anything chairman chairwoman they like say chairperson and you know they're fixing certain things but I'm like if I hear another inclusive liberal forward-thinking politician say equality for him and her or for our sons and daughters or for ladies and gentlemen I'm so sick of it I'm like we've moved so far that one is so easy to fix like just equality for everyone, everyone, individuals, children, parents, instead of mothers and fathers, like, you know, just like using those gender neutral terms. And I know that if I got in a room with Kamala, Joe, Pete Buttigieg, Nancy Pelosi, all these really inspiring politicians, they would hop on board Mm -hmm. immediately. They just, they have so much going on. They have so many people, like just someone is not, hasn't brought it up yet, I don't think. And so- I always say that's like my goal. I'm like, if I could just get him on the phone for five minutes, 
Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, this conversation definitely isn't being had enough. And I think that's a big part of what you're doing and why what you're doing is so important because it, it is exactly what you said. I'm sure if you just were able to educate them that they would make that switch because it's mm-hmm. really not a big switch to ask of people. And I think you've, you you kind of touched on this earlier, but it, it does come down to like your willingness to just not even necessarily, I want to say not even have to understand what what people identify as or or who they are but just accept it and embrace it and and respect who they are as you would want to be respected for who you are yourself so i think it really is just that the conversation needs to be more prevalent in in every space yeah absolutely and it's Mm -hmm. so it's so clear too like i would put money down that when i told my mom i was using they them pronouns that she had no freaking clue what i was talking about and she was like all right we're just gonna go then it's like, okay, it's been a couple years now. And I, I guarantee you she could school someone like she does hair. So she has clients that come in all the time and will say things. And she's like, oh, I had a great conversation today. I talked about, you know, systemic racism even, and you know, and what it means to be transgender. And I'm like, your language, you've learned so much by just starting, you know, like, it's Mm -hmm. like the same thing. Like, the, the annoying thing that math teachers tell you in class, it's like, I'm in my last GE right now and I'm having to do a lot of math again for some stupid reason. And they're like, you'll get it. You just have to practice. Just you got to go in and make your mistakes and then you'll go back. And I'm like, I don't want to like, right. Ugh. but like, honestly, that's the same thing with this whole conversation about gender inclusivity is you kind of just got to start and then you'll yeah. you'll weed through all the crap and you'll screw up and you won't get it you'll be like i really don't even know what that means but then you're gonna do it and then six months from now you're gonna be like i get it now yeah so that's kind that's of practice. yeah similar i was hoping we can kind of jump back into the dance conversation or in the dance realm so growing up in the competitive dance world the male versus female dynamic is highly prominent in, I mean, class rehearsals, performances, um, you name it. How do you think this negatively imposes on the development of our youth? Ooh, heavy one. We're hitting the heavy hitters today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the dance convention competition world has so much work to do. I I made I know I made videos about that one, mm-hmm. um, yes, a part did. one and a part two, <laughs> but that's a hard one honestly because I think that these convention teachers specifically have mm-hmm. so much say in these kids' lives. Like I remember growing up and like seeing these teachers up there and being like, I want to be just like them, and whatever they say is fact. Like they hold so much power. Yeah. And they have so much influence. And now that I'm the age of some of those teachers, it like terrifies me because I'm like, there are so many kids out there that listen to every word you say and, and watch you do everything. And now with social media, even like if yeah. a teacher goes out and does something like in their personal life, which is no one's business, honestly, but then whether they like it or not, they're role models for these young kids. Absolutely. And I preach all the time, like, we have to be better when we're older and we have this influence because it's so important and detrimental. Like I always, like my biggest thing, like if you want me to go on a rant 
if you want me to talk for hours, like ask me about kids. Cause like kids are like why I do what I do. I have wanted to be a parent since I've been five years old. Like the, the dance industry and competitions and conventions specifically have so much growing to do specifically, I think with the way that they teach, I think obviously in the, the systems and the way that they compete, that whole thing, like, I don't think we need a, a, a miss whatever we don't Those need titles. a mr yeah. we don't really need it you know yeah. but like if you're gonna have that and it's like you sign up for it and if you want to sign then that you know we can have that conversation for another time whatever but like some mm-hmm. things that just like have to change like and what's immediate are like teachers being like okay boys fellas you can try this version or all right can i have all the boys come out you know just so much division right. i'm just like i remember and again i didn't know at the time why conventions were like a god awful place for me when I was younger. Like I really did not enjoy them a lot of the time because I knew that when time came for hip hop, for example, I remember, you know, that hip hop unjustly is like connected with masculine energy and boys do hip hop and like all that crap that just has no grounding Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And people expect the boys in the room to be like the hip hoppers. And I remember they'd say, okay, boys at the end of a hip hop class and like literally the anxiety in my whole body, like I would feel paralyzed. Like I literally would just be like, I don't want to go out there because I don't look like all the other boys. But I was like, but if I don't go, then everyone turns and looks at me because whether I liked it or not at the time when I was in conventions, people watched Dance Moms and knew who I was and people Mm -hmm. were watching me in my classes and, you know, all that attention that. I guess I asked for, but also didn't ask for at the same Mm -hmm. time. And it's like, I remember one time, honestly, at a convention, I got a really bad migraine. But then because I had a migraine, I got anxiety. And I remember it was a class specifically about, it was very gendered. The class was super gendered. And I literally hid under a table for four hours. My mom thought I like literally died. Like I was having anxiety attacks. So I laid under the table and took a nap for four hours. And everyone was like frantically looking for me. And I was literally under the water table. And I just remember being like so upset for so many reasons. I had a headache, the gender thing, you know, and I was so confused. But it's like those places have such potential. And the reason I'm so passionate about talking about dance competitions and conventions is because they have so much potential to be the most amazing things for kids. Because some of my best memories are at these events. Some of my worst memories are at these Mm. events. So Mm. like if we can work through all of this and teach teachers, you know, I think it starts with teaching teachers, hey, don't have two versions of your combo. Or if you throw out another version, just say, oh, you can also do this if you'd like, done. You know, if we could teach these teachers to be better, which a lot of them are already, but if if some of these people who aren't really growing yet could be better and we could fix all these like inequities and this grossness in this industry, then those things could be so good for kids because they do have so much potential. Yeah, do you think it's appropriate as an alternative? I mean, I think in general, it should just not be a thing. Like you said, it should just be one option for all. But when it comes down to it, each individual is either going to be comfortable. I mean, I've always been comfortable, though, moving my body in any way that you asked me to. I've never really thought about like the male versus female dynamic in terms of movement. Do you think it's appropriate to have that like masculine versus feminine vocabulary? Or do you think it would just be more beneficial to just eliminate the option a versus B? That's a really good question. And I think I would say it really depends on how the options are delivered and the, the communication and the respect that the person giving the move has for everyone in the room. I think it doesn't, you know, happen in this like isolated, you know, instance. If I was in the front of a room and I was going to teach something and I was like, okay, 
stylistically, this one is going to be a bit more feminine. This one's masculine, like pick whichever one feels best for you. Then I feel like that would be acceptable. Um, That's a really good question. That's honestly a conversation I'm currently working through because there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, let's even erase the masculine and feminine definitions, Mm -hmm. which I am still having to read up on and, you know, learn about that conversation because I need to hear a little bit more from both sides of that. I think my general opinion um, usually is surrounding just the communication and respect, like present in the room. Mm -hmm. Like if a choreographer told me, hey, this step is very feminine. This step is really masculine. Pick whichever one absolutely whatever you feel most comfortable doing I would personally feel okay with that but that's a conversation we definitely need to still keep having because I I think some people may disagree with me which I would welcome because I I would want to hear because I honestly they could probably convince me otherwise like I want to you know know what they have to say about that and honestly this kind of sends me to to a little bit of another conversation about people really don't want to let go of the past um there are some very strict teachers and people even young teachers who are very much like I grew up like this everyone needs to grow up like this I had this trauma growing up so you have to have that trauma growing up I love these ballets they've been performed forever you have to learn them you respect them it's our elders you know like that's really prominent in the dance world specifically in the ballet like you know concert dance world and What I have to say to that, honestly, is no one's trying to tell you that Balanchine sucks. No one's trying to tell you that I never want to see another Swan Lake. Like, you know, like there are things that are going to be in our repertoire and they're going to be prevalent for so long and they've been there forever. So they're probably going to be there. It's it's not about getting rid of the past. It's respecting the past, but then recognizing that we are in a much different place now as a society and art is supposed to represent where we are in society. Mm Um, and so we're going to move it forward and then we're going to figure out how to make it work for the now. And honestly, what I say about binary rep, I write about it in my book. It's really about language and it's so simple too. And at Kaufman, they've, they've gotten really good at this and some teachers that really were struggling with it are now like doing it second nature. It's so fun to watch. It's like, you know, we're going to do a pas de deux. Um, and it was historically performed by a male body and a female body. And due to casting integrity and the wish of the original choreographer, like, for example, we did a Yuri Killian piece this past semester. And they're like, yeah, Yuri, when it comes to performing, he wants a male body doing this role and a female body doing this role. And then the teacher was like, but as the person in front of the room, if this doesn't work for you, do whatever one you feel most comfortable with. And then when we get to casting, know that that's where it's going to have to go. And if this is not a safe space for you, then that's totally okay. And I respect you. And that was a great way to teach a binary rep. And then I was like, you know, I think for today, I can do the male part, you know, that's going to feel fine for me. I also learned the other part, you know, it's really just about that language shift. Yeah, we're getting near the end. But before we start to close out, I want to put a stamp on your book, um, which is called An Evolving Conversation on Gender Dance Edition, because I just think it's super important. It's available on Amazon anywhere else on your website, maybe? Yeah, it's it's on Amazon. Um, I link it from everywhere, but the easiest way is just look up my name on Amazon. But the link can be found on like all of my social media as well. Yeah, and I, I just want to encourage people to like give that a check out. I know I'll be purchasing one. Something like this has never existed. Like you said, I know that you've said many times that the reason that you even started Continuum is because you wish that a community was there when you were growing up. And I think if we can um, introduce and implement this language into studios and schools and 
places of education as a whole, it could really like benefit the progression of our society as a whole. And I just want to thank you again. We're getting ready to close out, but like this has been so incredible. I know me and Maggie are both like, yeah, we got to go do our homework, <laughs> more homework <Yeah>. to do. <laughs> For sure. There's always homework. We're, we're ready as a society to, to push forward. Amen. Totally. I think there's um a quote that you said that I love and I think is I just want to repeat it a million times. Um, if the system isn't built to include you, build a new one. So as we continue to build this gender inclusive world, just to kind of finish out, what do you think are the very first steps an individual should take to become more educated? Very first step is to find your medium. Are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And then find someone doing what you learn best doing and just start learning. Even if it's small, I always tell people to like continuum isn't really self-serving. You know, if, if that's not your jam, you don't want to read my book. It doesn't look fun for you. You don't want to watch my videos. You don't like me. That's fine. Okay. Well then go find the other people that are doing so many amazing things like, you know, that we're doing over here as someone that I recently discovered was a low fed men, men I think that is their name. Um, Oh my gosh, so incredible. They're doing stuff that's, you know, right up what I'm doing, but they're doing it differently and so freaking cool and refreshing. So I think your first step is finding someone you are inspired by, relate to, and just start learning, you know, and find your your place, mm-hmm. like find what you think would help teach you the best. You know, for me, I'm a hands-on learner. Example mm-hmm. as to why my way of learning about gender was being an advocate for it. And that's my way of learning. Um, And if someone else is, is sitting back and watching, go watch some videos. You know, there's just so much out there. It really just takes a Google search these days. There really, there really is no excuse anymore. So find your medium and hit the ground running. Yes. Yeah. Resources are definitely at our fingertips. So thank you so much. I want to thank you for the 100 million time. (laughs) Um, For anyone who's listening, Continuum is a great resource center in and of itself. So people go check it out. And yeah, thank you again, Zach. Super grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, what a conversation. Let's go over some key takeaways from this interview with Zachary Torres. First things first, sex versus gender. They really describe this in, I feel like, such an understanding, a simple, easy-to-understand way. They said, what's below the belt versus what's in your heart, sex versus gender. Hmm. Second thing being pronouns are deserved, not preferred. It is not a preference. And we're going to put a period stamp on that one. That's that. (laughs) Right. Next one being to implement more inclusive language in your life. If you're not sure what inclusive language is, Zach's book is a great starting tool to expand your vocabulary in a way that includes every person and every potential person in the room. Effective change is definitely possible with the right tools, and Zach exemplifies that themselves as they have changed the dance program at USC just by opening up the conversation to their peers and their faculty and their professors and so on and so forth. Putting words into action, Zach would like you to check out Human Rights Campaign to donate and support a cause. The Human Rights Campaign fights for equality for all. Their campaigns are focused on mobilizing those who envision a world strengthened by diversity, where our laws and society treat all people equally, including LGBTQ plus people and those who are constantly marginalized. If you wish to spread some love and donate, head over to www.hrc.org. That's www.hrc.org. 
org. So I think all in all, we just have to hop on this train and learn together. This is an ever-evolving conversation. So just remember to be open and lead with love. We want to make sure everyone feels included, recognized, respected, loved. You know, it's a it's a human right. Amen. Amen to that. And with that, we are just about ready to wrap up this week's episode. So thank you for listening again. If you want to continue to be a part of the conversation, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Dissexually Active. Leave us your comments, leave us your feedback, and let's continue to learn, grow, and become more empathetic, compassionate, and loving human beings as a whole. Yes. We love you, Oats. And we bid you farewell once again. Peace. And love. Hey. (laughs)